You're listening to a podcast from Meaning of Life TV. Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined on Meaning of Life TV. Uh, I'm your host, R.A. Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Vanessa Gregoriatis. Uh, Vanessa, could you introduce yourself? Um, hi, I'm a magazine writer, um, and I just wrote a story for the New York Times Magazine about um, Nexium, which is a kind of complicated, secretive group um, whose leader has just been arrested for sex trafficking. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today. I really enjoyed uh, the article, and uh, we'll include a link to it below, and I encourage everyone to uh, read it because it's uh, very well told, and this is a bizarre and fascinating story. Yeah. So the headline is, the quote, sex cult, close quote, that preached empowerment. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so the question of whether this is a sex cult or not is 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 still kind of contested. Um, so how, how did you come to this story? Um... So I started working on it in December. Um, the New York Times had already printed a story about the women. Um, some of the women in the group had branded each other in like a ceremony of sisterhood. Um, so that had been like a, a fairly major news break already. And branded, we mean like their flesh was branded with hot metal. So, yes, they used like a, a, not like a cow brand, but like a cauterizing pen to kind of create a symbol. Um, and some of the women thought the symbol was like the seven chakras. Um, others thought it was like the three elements. And then the fourth would be fire that the cauterizing pen would like seal it into your flesh. Um, and then others knew that that symbol also included um, the leader, Keith Ranieri's um initials right so if um, the photographs in your piece uh, you can see a woman displaying this um symbol on her kind of upper hip um and yeah so okay so why don't we why don't we start with keith ranire um who who is he and how did he attract a um devoted following of people who would want to brand each other yeah so he um you know, he, he's a guy from, he's from New York. He's always lived in New York state. Um, he went to school for, you know, various science pursuits, got a regular college degree and afterwards became interested in like the science behind uh, multi-level marketing and sales. Um, so he ended up starting a company called consumers byline in the nineties. That was a huge success that was selling groceries and other goods. Um, but some state attorneys general thought that, um, it was potentially a pyramid scheme and, um, you know, without really admitting too much, he, um, he and his associates shut it down. So that was kind of his first big professional foray. Um, he and a girlfriend also had a company, um, selling like health supplements and a network of doctors. Um, you know, he was interested in persuasion and also interested in alternative, you know, medicine, alternative ways of looking at the world. He was a really pretty unique person who is extremely devoted to looking at the world in a different way than everybody else. Um, and so he met a woman who was very um, expert at a, uh, neurologistic programming and Ericksonian hypnosis. Um, he met her, you know, they were someplace in like outside Albany in a 
place called Clifton Park. And they ended up starting um, in 1998 a program called Executive Success Programs that was like a you know one of these kind of personal growth slash like leadership seminars that you find really all over the country. Um, and they ended up attracting a lot of really wealthy people, and that uh, you know that wealth really propelled the group to like extraordinary heights. Um, you know the kind of heights that not quite seen with a place like Scientology, but, you know, not quite to that point, but, um, you know, far beyond what your normal self-help group um, would ever be able to do in the world. Like, you know, invite the Dalai Lama to Albany and, you know, there was a lot of kerfuffle over that, but ultimately they did have an event. Um, there was an event you know, um, and the Dalai Lama did speak at that event after a lot of back and forth. So there were, there were things that they did that were really quite extraordinary. Um, a lot of it because of the wealth that, um, the members had. Um, so what are, you, you describe like kind of Ranieri's, um, or one of his like methods, and it kind of reminded me of auditing in Scientology, of right. like going back to negative memories and like trying to get to the root root of them. Like, what did what does he believe? What was like his process that attracted people? Yeah, I think it's a little different in, than auditing in Scientology. But the basic idea is is that you know you have these traumatic memories. Um, everybody has them, or just memories from your childhood um, that are misperceptions because you created them when you were not fully cognizant of how the world works and you need to now go back as an adult and reassess those both good and bad memories and understand them better um, and understand, you know, the kind of false connections that you made through like my mother is cooking spaghetti and Beethoven's in the background and then she and I have a fight and now I hate Beethoven and I hate spaghetti. You have to look at why that actually happened and go back to that moment and be like, those things are not actually connected. So like deconnect and then reconnect them in a different way. And obviously this can work for trauma very, very well if people are very hurt by, you know, a parent dying or something along those lines, you can go back and look at the experience and say, well, you know, my mother actually really did love me before she died. And this was just something that happened in the hospital and it, it didn't have anything to do with me. Um, you know, in a lot of cases, by all accounts, they were trying to help people, you know, process those kinds of memories in a positive fashion. Mm -hmm. And like, People found this this work for them, and that's why they stuck around. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't have, you know, I don't know. Like, it, it, people say it worked for them, both members and ex-members. People who are, you know, extremely um, vituperative towards this group say, like, but I also want you to know this actually worked. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, which is something you hear from, you know, people involved in Scientology as well. But. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it seemed like a lot of the people who joined this group uh, were women. Um, is, is that is that accurate that there was like more women than men who, who were joining up? Well, 
I don't know the exact breakdown, but I would say that um, there were a lot of women involved. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there were more women than men. Um, the women uh, were, to my eyes during my reporting, um, much more alpha than a lot of the men who were involved, other than Keith himself, who was kind of like the ultimate alpha. Um, you know, there's no question that it was like an incredibly strong group of like interwoven friendships between women um, and relationships. And, you know, when I mentioned that thing of like these integrations, these ideas about experiences, one of the things that they did just, you know, in case of Scientology auditing, this happens too. you know, members would do it to each other. Like you didn't have to only do it with a specific person who was at the very top of the group. You could just do it, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. If one person was like certified in a certain way, then you could do these things together, process these memories together or talk, you know, everybody was just having these hardcore intense conversations about their lives, almost like in a life coaching fashion with each other. It was a very kind of, um, you know, I don't want to be super reductive, you know, men can be in touch with their emotions too, but you know, the whole point of this group was to go deeper and deeper and deeper into your emotions. And so, you know, there were a lot of women who were enthusiastic about that, who were able to access those emotions maybe more easily. Um, and who were quite dominant. A lot of the high rank people were, were female. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also a lot of people who joined up, um, were successful, powerful, wealthy, um, people. Um, maybe the most prominent are, uh, the Bronfmans. Are they twins or are they sisters? No, they're just sisters. They're sisters. Um, can you, maybe you've heard that name before, um, can you describe who they are, their family and their role in the group? Yeah, so they're, um, two of Edgar Bronfman Sr.'s, um, daughters. And he was the, um, Seagram's liquor heir, um, and, um, was also the head of the World Jewish Congress. So he's a real kind of pillar of the community, um, of New York, you know, society. And, um, they are, you know, two women who really believe in this group and have been involved I don't know. It's probably been about 15 years, I'd say, maybe, maybe a little bit less since then, since they've been very, very deeply involved. Um, and, and so was, was a big part of it, the wealthy people contributing their money through like classes and stuff like that to the central organization or, or were they just giving their money because they thought it was like a charitable contribution? Um, there was a charity that was started, but it was more like, yeah, there was a lot of, you know, you could pay $5,000 for these classes very easily and then over and over and over and over. So it was not uncommon for people to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars um, on classes. But then there were all sorts of other ventures that they were doing, like they made a film about um, using their tech to cure um, Tourette's. You know, very, very highly, um, high, high, uh, you know, production values. Um, mm -hmm. They made a lot of films, a lot of films um, of themselves and the different, you know, 
things that they were involved in. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we also know from um, some legal cases that like Ranieri had a um, kind of scientific equation that he said, a mathematical equation that would like make a lot of money in the commodities market. Um, but he ended up losing a lot of money. Um, and, uh, you know, some documents show that the 66 million of the Bronfman fortune was lost in that that um endeavor um so another key player in this story and the one who's attracting the most media attention is um allison mack is that her name mm-hmm. um so i i wasn't familiar with her but she was an actress on the tv show smallville um uh which aired in the aughts i suppose um and then she got involved in the group and is kind of a lot, kind of after all the, everything went down, it's kind of become like the face of the group along with Ranire. Um, right. You can talk about how she. Well, they are both, they are both currently charged with sex trafficking in federal court. So yes, they are the most important ones at the moment. Right. So not just a spoiler <laughs> alert for people who haven't read the story yet. They, at the end of the story, they are both in prison. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Didn't mean to spoil it. Um, Okay, so what's the question? So, like, who is she? How did she become involved in this? And, like, what was her role in the group? Okay, so, um, you know, like lots of groups like this, this is, this is word of mouth recruiting, right? That's how, that's how this works. Um, so there were a bunch of people in Vancouver, um, in the aughts who got super into it, particularly like the theatrical community, dramatic community, people who were, um, filming television shows or involved in that world in Vancouver. So she came in through that, um, kind of trend and, um, you know, she ended up moving to Albany, which is where like the hardcore Nexian um, followers were. And, um, she, you know, started again, like there were different kinds of courses that they, they, they created all different courses all the time, right. Um, to sell new products. And she was involved in creating a course for actors. Um, she, you know, was like, well, one of the, you know, she was actually not that high rank in the terms of because they all were they all have these sashes that are different colors that show their rankings um she wasn't a high ranks but she was like very enmeshed in there with the um high ranks of the group and you know she um denied this to me but you know the fbi um is claiming that you know she had was bringing in young women recruiting young women on purpose um for Ranieri to who might have been, you know, interested in those women sexually. Wasn't haven't people found tweets that she sent to actresses trying to yes, say like tweets. there have been a lot, yes. They you know, so after she was arrested, um a lot of, you know, um investigators of various stripes um went into her twitter feed and you know found um her emailing you know um who was it like emma watson yeah i think reese witherspoon maybe i thought maybe i'm getting that wrong 
I don't know if it was Reese Witherspoon, but also like um, a bunch of feminist writers like Jessica Valenti or Katie Baker, who writes about sexual assault a lot or, you know, like really like super progressive feminist writers um, and saying, like, I want you to learn about female empowerment and my ideas. So one of the you know key ideas, basically going back about 10 years in this group was this. They were teaching a lot of courses about gender relations and how to be um, a woman in the world and a man in the world and um, shift this gender war that they saw happening. So that was like a really key educational portion of the group. So she was like, that's what she was asking it was called Janess because all of their words are like all of their companies are like these neologisms. So this group was called Janess. Um, and I asked her why it was called Janess, and she was like, it's a made-up word that women are defining as we define who we are. So I was like, okay. So she was trying to invite them to go to enroll in Janess and learn about these different, you know, ideas. And, like, you know, one of the things I really tried to do with this piece is really show, because I feel that a lot of the um, reporting about this has been, like, completely sensationalized and just makes these people sound like horrible freaks. And, you know, I, I really think there were, um, incredibly smart and sophisticated people involved in this. And like when you went to a Jeunesse training, you know, yeah, it was an indoctrination in some ideas that I don't agree with, but it was also like, again, going back to like life coaching, it was like a pretty, intense, interesting experience, at least at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what did, does Nexium mean anything or is that just, and we should say it's for people who haven't read about it, it's, it's all capitalized NX. IBM. Yeah. Uh, well, Keith told me it was a contraction for next millennium and he likes contractions. One of his kids has a name that's a contraction um, of a parent's names. Um, so, you know, other people have had different ideas of what it is, but you know, it's look, you know, it was called executive success programs. Um, then they rebranded themselves as Nexium. Um, in the last few years, they've actually gone back to using executive success programs. And, um, you know, there are experts that I spoke with who thought that this was really because anytime the bad press happened, they would try to change the name to see if they could get away from it. Um, it's obviously not what they told me is the reason why they would shift it, but yeah. Okay, so okay, so how does this eccentric group uh, doing its own thing in Albany, New York? How does it become sex cult national news uh, with people in federal right. prison? So, okay, I mean, one of the things that they did um, about you know, multiple years ago is that when people were leaving um, or ex-girlfriends of, of Ranieri's, you know, the FBI thought that Ranieri had about 15 to 20 different girlfriends up there in Albany. Um, you know, the journalists as well, or Rick Ross, who's the head of a big like cult education forum and is a deprogrammer. Um, a lot of lawsuits were filed you know, against these people. Um, there's a by, big, by, by people who left, sites. people who yeah. left the group would sue. No, no, no. The other way around. 
the group with two people who left. Assuming some people who left, um, a couple of journalists, one at Vanity Fair and one at the Albany Times Union, um, were also sued. Um, and you know, within the group, there was an understanding that this had to happen because these people were unethical and Nexium, which stood for ethics, had to sue them. But, you know, that created an enormous amount of media attention. Um, and also, you know, ended up, uh, there was, there was quite a bit of like, um, discovery that put some of the, you know, secrets of the group, um, out there. You know, particularly that Ranieri did have some, some, you know, sexual preferences that not everybody has. Um, so this group was known, you know, around, but I think that, uh, nobody had really paid much attention since then, um, until the stories of the branding started coming out. Um, so at one point, um, they had hired Roger Stone. As oh, a wait, can, you, can, you just, or, can yeah. you talk about the branding? Because you go into it more in the article, and it, it was not what I was expecting to read. Like, it was, yeah. the way you describe it is more like a cooperative bonding project. Right. So, okay, so, you know, again, like... I really think it's important to understand that um, people felt really empowered by this group and as, as though they were getting something out of it, even though there are a lot of practices that were allegedly pretty coercive also going on here. Right. And I think when we hear what happens when, you know, there's going to be a massive trial in Brooklyn um, sometime in the next like nine months. And we're going to hear about a lot of secrets and a lot of them are going to be pretty interesting in my opinion. Um, but so the branding situation is really complicated because, um, I mean, do you want me to like, I mean, I don't know. This is going to take a few minutes. Are you okay with that? Uh, yeah, if you're fine. I, I just thought it was fa- fascinating just because, you know, the, the storyline in the New York Times was like, maybe the headline was about branding, you know, the first, the, the initial story that they ran last year. Yeah. And then you're like, oh my God, well, you know, they, they're treating these people like cattle. Um, but then as you, as you describe it, it's, it's much more complex and interesting. We could leave it as a teaser for people to <laughs> read the article itself. Yeah, yeah, uh, or, yeah. or if you're fine describing it, that's, that's, that'd be great. Okay. Let me, let me try to, um, let me try to describe it. Okay. So basically what happened is, so Jeunesse was this seminar that you could take about gender relations, you know, and men and women could take it and they could talk about like, I feel so ashamed of my body sexually. And these are the reasons. And this is the way men make me feel. Or men could say women withhold sex and it makes me feel, you know, insecure. And this is why. And it was like all of this really deep kind of back and forth about like, who are we really? Who are the genders? Blah, 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 blah. Within that seminar group, an idea was was um, kind of seated. And this idea was like, well, men, we have to understand the genders. And one thing we really need to understand is that men are naturally promiscuous and women are naturally monogamous. And Ranieri had a theory that he called the primitive hypothesis. And that was about like, if you went back to caveman times, you would find that, of course, 
men had to go spread the seed and women had to be monogamous. And, you know, this is nothing any of us haven't heard before. Right. But he kind of seeded this and like, you know, everybody in this group was very influenced by what Keith thought, what Keith had to say. He was the evolved being. Right. So they were like, okay, this is the way Keith says it is. So. Okay. Then separately, there's this very strange idea that he comes up with um, because he was always coming up with ideas about how can you be more ethical? How can you be more loyal? How can you be more free? How can you be more joyous? So he came up with this idea called collateral and he called it collateralizing your word. And the collateral was if you and I are in a relationship, you're always going to keep something for me. Aren't you kind of what if I had something on you that you couldn't bear to have out in the public sphere. Like what if you gave me your nastiest, you know, video of having sex, or maybe you should sign the deed of your house over to me. Because if you did that, then we would have true love and we would have true loyalty, particularly women who he said are very disloyal. They're always jumping from one guy to the next. They don't understand the, you know, the true meaning of loyalty. This might be a useful way to help women build discipline and character. So people were like, yeah, interesting idea. And they were doing this with each other. I'm going to collateralize my word, right? But not so much with the nude pictures and the, you know, deeds to the houses quite yet. So they so were it's doing- a little bit like, it's like little kids would be like, if, if you're cementing a friendship, one kid will tell like a secret to the other kid and they'll exchange secrets and then they're like best friends. Sure. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. 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 But this was also t- like tangible goods could also be part of it. So, so then, you know, t- t- time passes and we're up to like, you know, 2014. Um, Ranieri's, um, like top woman that he was involved with. Um, who was a, an heiress of, of a gigantic fortune separate from the Bronfman's. Um, she was diagnosed with um, renal cancer and she became quite sick. Another woman in the group um, was also a partner of his, was also diagnosed with um, very advanced cancer. And so, you know, there's two perspectives. One perspective is, you know, as his, you know, ex-girlfriends has said, you know, this guy was just into controlling people and seeing how far he could get. And, you know, we're not surprised that something crazy happened, right? But the other perspective is the kind of disease of these two very high-ranked women that were very close with him made him kind of spin out a little bit. And he started to really think about how he could make sure that nobody else left him. That like in his grief, he was kind of pulling everybody really close and really wanted loyalty from people now. So, you know, we don't know. Um, we also don't know for sure that he started this other group that, that kind of ended up um, like the branding became, you know, this apotheosis of this other group. But the FBI thinks he started it. So, you know, you have a situation, you have Janess, you have this idea of collateral. Well, now women in the group 
are suddenly being approached by other women in the group and they're saying, look, I want to talk to you about something. And it's not another course that you can sign up for that is going to cost $5,000, right? It's actually a secret, secret self-help group. And it's only for women. And it's to help us build discipline and character, which you know we need. And it's a secret and you can't tell anybody about it. But I want you to be in it with me. But before I even tell you about it, you've got to give me some collateral. So give me a nude picture. Give me a videotaped statement about how your father um, committed malpractice. Um, you know, whatever it is, a letter to social services saying your sister abused her kids, whatever it is, give me that. And then I'll tell you what this group is about. And so amazingly enough, people were doing this. They were giving their collateral. So they gave their collateral and then they would find out. And okay, what is this? This is a slave master discipline ring only of women. And you are now my slave. And you have to do what I tell you to do. But everything I tell you to do will be for a higher purpose. It will all be for your own good. I'm not telling you to do anything for my good. I'm only telling it to do, you to do it for your good. Because you need to build discipline. So if I tell you that you need to be on a diet of a 1,000 calories a day, or if I tell you that you need to work out every day and uphold your word, or if I tell you that you need to do an act of self-denial each day, like take a cold shower or something, um, you need to do it. And if I text you, you better come back within like a minute and tell me that you're there. Um, and, you know, maybe you should bring groceries for me or bring me coffee or whatever. And now go recruit somebody else, right? Remember, it's a pyramid. It's all a pyramid. So it's like, go recruit somebody else. So then... You will have a slave, right? And you will be a master. So this was like happening over the course of a few years, but nobody knew that there was like a grandmaster and the grandmaster, the FBI thinks, is Ranieri, right? And they have, they have some emails that really indicate that. It's not clear. Now, what's really strange about this <laughs> is, <laughs> is that some of the women who were recruited were also told to do things like not only get really skinny, right, but um, not cut their pubic hair, um, things that seem like they were getting them ready to have sex with him. Because, again, according to FBI's information, this is what he preferred in women sexually, um, and, you know, the FBI has a pretty compelling story about a Jane Doe, um, who was also told to, um, abstain from orgasms for six months. Um, I believe before, um, meeting up with him. So they've got a pretty compelling story there. Now, what's incredibly strange is that there were a lot of other women involved in this who never had anything to do with him sexually, who were not being groomed to have sex with him. But we're also being told to be on these diets and we're also being told that they needed to build discipline and character. And we're also telling me that this thing totally worked for them. It was awesome. Wow. And they felt stronger than they ever had. And that it was like, yeah, okay, you can do a tough mutter, 
you know, you can go do a triathlon or you can have a group of women who are supporting you every day telling you like, you know, get your shit together. Come on, get it together. How are you going to get the stuff you want in your life? You know, which of course includes being skinny. Um, so yeah. So, I mean, I, my contention is that this is only one of like a lot of stories within Nexium that may not be the kind of thing that could get you actually taken into federal court on sex trafficking, but are really complicated and really weird, you know? So, so um, it, it, it's the recruiting new women to do this, to, to be groomed for Rainier. That's the act that the, the feds are. Okay. So the saying feds, is a crime. I mean, yeah. So let's just throw in this extra twist, which is, you know, sex trafficking laws are, very broad, right? They're written in a way that you can take anyone, right? Um, you know, and, and lots of legal scholars have pointed this out. So, you know, I think their case is actually pretty strong, but it is strange, which is that, you know, of course, if sex was happening because somebody was holding your collateral, right, and you are afraid that your collateral was going to be released, like, that was always the thing, right? Like, I gave my collateral, well, is somebody going to release it? What if I don't have sex with Ranieri or don't at least flirt with Ranieri? Does that mean that my collateral is going to be released? You know, we don't know how much they have to show that right now, but that's a key question. Now, the sex trafficking charge, and this is where Allison Mack comes in, is really kind of a little different than that, which is basically, like I told you how the slaves were supposed to get um, groceries or bring coffee or do all these tasks that were like remunerative tasks. So there's a money exchange thing there, right? And for sex trafficking, it doesn't have to be currency. It just has to be a form of form of value exchange. So there's value exchange there. And the feds are also trying to say, and I believe they're talking about Allison Mack here, though they haven't said it explicitly, um, that Allison, because she did things like started the seminar for acting and got like a lot of benefits from that. And probably, you know, there were all sorts of franchise deals, right? So I'm sure Allison's acting course, she kicked back, she got kicked back some money for that, blah, 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 blah. That Allison, who they believe was key to recruiting younger women into the group, into the secret group, um, the potentially grooming group, um, she was receiving financial benefits from Keith, almost like a prostitute, uh, like a, like a, like she was a pimp, right? And he was like the grand pimp, and that she was receiving benefits from him to bring women into prostitution. So that's what they're saying. Now, on one hand, you look at this and you're like, give me a break, right? On the other hand, you look at it and you're like, well, you know, there was like an element, you know, I don't want to use this word legalistically, but it looks like an element of coercion to me. And there there was a lot of stuff about value exchange going on in here. Um. So even though money wasn't changing hands, uh, you know, they could have a case 
And like the case, to be clear, would be like 15 years minimum for each count. So, you know, you're, you're looking at Keith Raniere, you're looking at life. Um, Did I like... <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot there. Really, like, serious. Once again, I encourage everyone to read this story. Um, so... <laughs> going to be anything left. Now it's going to be the story. They're going to be like, I know all that. <laughs> so how would you, okay, so sex cult was used in quotes in the title. Um, is it accurate to call this a sex cult? Is it just, you, I mean, you've been calling it the group through most of this okay, conversation. Well, I, I don't want to go on yet another long, um, you know, exegesis here, but like basically a, I don't like the word cult. I think it's very overused and misapplied. Um, I think a lot of like, uh, new American religious scholars will call these new American religions. Nexium did not call itself a religion. They did not ask for nonprofit status like, uh, a Scientology. But you know, they had an ethical system. I mean, it's not like really far away, right? In my mind. Um, I think that you know, if you're going to tick off boxes in the common understanding of cult, you could tick them off that way. Um, the sex cult thing is a little weird because, you know, it, as I said, like there were a lot of people who were not involved in a sexual nature here with anybody, you know, and it, and yeah. it certainly wasn't a thing like people were in chains in somebody's basement, like six women. Which is exactly what people think of when they think of sex cult. Um, but was sex an element of the group that was secretive? Yes, it was. Like there was, Ranieri also, by the way, was supposed to be the world's most ethical and smartest man and was, some people thought he was celibate. He was supposed to be like a renunciate, right? So he had this like secret life with these other women that, you know, most people in the group didn't know about it. So how can you call those people? How were those people in a sex cult? They thought he, if they thought he was a celibate, were they in a sex cult? The 17,000 people who went through a Nexium class, you know, they're not in a sex cult. Um, Yet at the same time, you know, there's some applications. So, yeah, <laughs> those are my thoughts. Yeah, I, did you have you watched um Wild Wild Country on Netflix? I've watched most of it. Yeah. Uh, so for people who don't know, it's a Netflix documentary series about a group. I would call it a cult. Maybe you could disagree. Um, mm -hmm. that took over a uh, led by a Indian guru. Uh, that took over a small town in Oregon in the 80s and did all sorts of stuff and uh, pe multiple people were arrested and uh, it's I, I would strongly recommend it. But uh, that's like, I don't know, that seems like they said they said he had a new like religion, the leader of Rajneesh, you know, and, and that he was like a, a true guru and was leading people to right. enlightenment. And yet I, I think we could say like, um, I don't feel sad, like <laughs> saying this group was actually a cult. Um, and one of the things I was watching <laughs> that struck me as I was watching that was, you know, the, uh, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh is kind of like a blank in the documentary. Like he took a vow of silence for a number of years. So there's, there's a lot of film of him just like sitting there and going like this and smiling and laughing. But 
his his ideology is hard to understand. I tried to look up stuff about it online, and the people writing like, yeah, his ideology was such a mishmash that it was hard to understand. And, but there are also people um, talking about how it had, had this intense personal charisma. You would just look into his eyes, and you would feel like you were talking to a higher being, or you would feel like you were in some kind of uh, you know like holy place when he was with you. And then I read about Ranieri. You have photographers taking photos of him. He's not, I don't know, he's an older, slightly older guy. He's not like a very striking looking guy. The ideas don't make any sense to me. Like, does he have personal charisma that you have to be in the room with him to understand? Is he, does he have any unique ideas that have value outside of this? I would actually argue with you that he has some very unique ideas and Rajneesh did not have unique ideas. And Rajneesh is not that different than like Eckhart Tolle. Like he's just really basic, like enlightenment now with this high, uh, hedonistic edge to it, you know, um, like you can embrace materialism and also be spiritual was like his big message. Um, Ranieri, I think is totally different than him in terms of, um, Ranieri really was like, uh, very with it, very smart, like thinking person who was thinking about every step that this group should take. And, um, but yet in both cases, really what is attracting people and making them stay there is the direct band of people around them. So the high rank people, right? Like, so in Wild Wild Country, it's Sheila. So, like, the top 10 people are the people who are really doing the work and, you know, making um, members actually stick with this. Um, And the leader is always got so much reflected glory that it almost doesn't matter who the person is, right? Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think... You know, again, like, I, I was impressed not so much by him, but I was impressed by some of the people who were the, the female high ranks, um, who I, you know, had great conversations with and who I thought were really interesting and cool. So some of them also, you know, there's multiple defendants are still supposedly going to be arrested in this case in the next, like, month. Um, so we may see that some of those people may also... Um, be arrested. Um, but yeah, there's a lot, I mean, there's a wild, wild country comparison. Like, I mean, it happens to have just been on TV. So like, obviously people are talking about it, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I keep using the word group and I'm not really saying that because of the legal issue. I'm saying that more just because I have training in like religious studies and I just really don't like that word. I don't think cult is fair. I think like Judeo Christianity is kind of a cult also. And I just, you know, I, I don't like it, but, um, I think that there's like very few groups like this, like Nexium, uh, you know, this doesn't come along that often. Like, we don't learn about something like this. We don't learn about a group that's this well-funded um, and that has been around for this long and does have a complex ideology. Um, that doesn't, you know, it's not like cults in our midst. They're everywhere. Oh, my God, they're <laughs> over here. They're over there. That's not the case. That's not the that's not the America. We, we live in a much more boring place than that. Um, so I think this is a significant story because it, it's just rare, 
you know, that you find something like this actually kind of just explode into public view. Yeah. I think, you know, that I read somewhere someone saying like a, you know, a religion is like a cult that succeeded or a cult is like a religion that failed. Um, you know, right. any religion has to start with a small group of people, uh, intensely yeah. committed to a new idea. Um, I think those are all the questions I have. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think there's enough here for a six part Netflix documentary series. Maybe you can, yeah. uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe you can uh, make that documentary series. Okay. I, I, I would watch it. Um, Thank you <laughs> well, thanks so much cool. uh, for coming on. Um, so where can people find more of your work if they're interested? Um, well, you would need to know how to spell my name, which might be a little hard, but, um, sorry, this is my son, but, uh, it's Vanessa, V-A-N-E-S-S-A. And then, um, <laughs> sorry, That's okay. if you put Vanessa and then in quotations, blurred lines, you will find my book that I wrote about campus sexual assault. And then that'll lead you to like my webpage and stuff like that. So, okay, cool. Um, well, well, thanks for, thanks for taking the time and, uh, talking about this with me and our viewers and listeners. Um, and hope we'll have you on again, um, sometime soon with on a different topic. Thank Um, you. Okay. Talk to you later. Take, take care. Okay. Before you go, a quick message from the suits at Meaning of Life TV. Meaning of Life will always be free for you to watch and listen to, and we don't even go the NPR route of guilting you into donating during Pledge Week. But we do have a small request. If you enjoy Meaning of Life programming, rate and review us on iTunes. The iTunes algorithm weighs positive reviews heavily, so taking a few minutes to rate and review us will help more people find out about our shows. Also, of course, we encourage you to subscribe to our Twitter and Facebook feeds. Thank you.